Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for each one who is here, Lord, and those who are on their way. I just pray that you would be with us tonight, Lord, as we consider your word and try to learn from what you would have us to learn, Lord, and that we would leave tonight, Lord, better able to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated and have your Bibles. Philippians, the book of Philippians in chapter number 4. The book of Philippians in chapter number 4. Verse number 1 is where we're going to begin reading. We'll read through verse number 9, and then we will pray. Verse Philippians 4, verse number 1. Therefore, my, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Unitus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with others my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Once again, we just come before you. And Lord, we are in need of your help to understand your word. I pray that you would guide my lips. Lord, help me to communicate your word, Lord, and that we could understand it, apply it to our lives. And Lord, that we could live a little more like you because of what your word says. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Life is hard. Life is life, we might say. Life is hard, and it loves to overwhelm us with seemingly uncontrollable circumstances and overwhelm us in such a way that we just begin to stress out. Life loves to make us stressed out. That's part of life. You might say, that is just the world that we live in. When I was driving um, over to the viewing Tuesday night and then to the funeral, we had to take the good old BQE, which it says, it says, it BQE. It's supposed to be Brooklyn Queens Expressway. The only problem is there's nothing expressway about the BQE because it is oftentimes bumper to bumper traffic the whole way down it. And if you are in a hurry, that uncontrollable circumstances of having to take the BQE can cause you to stress out if you don't, if you allow it to. It 
wife loves to stress you out. Or you're running late for work today. And you go and you hop on the train and you go one stop and what do you got? We are momentarily delayed for signal problems ahead of us. We are momentarily delayed because of train traffic ahead of us. The voice comes over the speaker, and you are stuck on the train. Lately, it seems the delays on the train have been backing up more and more and more. I'm just giving some experiences that we have all had where life loves to stress you out. It loves to overwhelm us. Sometimes the train was running, running great. You got up on time. You get to work. You are having a great day until you meet the boss. And suddenly you realize whatever a great day you are having, the boss is not having a great day. And suddenly the stress begins to build as you realize your boss, maybe his train had problems or maybe he forgot his coffee or she forgot her coffee or whatever the circumstances are, your boss is having a bad day. And we can look at those Things that we, we all have experienced at one time or another. We could laugh a little bit. We could say, yes, life loves to stress you out. But then there's some things that aren't quite so humorous because it isn't over. It isn't just a couple hours that you're dealing with. Some people deal with health problems. Some have family problems where there isn't the relationship with their family that they want to. Or something, a loved one has passed away. And it can seem that circumstances just keep building up and building up. Family that doesn't understand why you go to church. Or there could be financial problems. Just the um, expensiveness of the age that we live in, the city that we live in, financials. And if you begin to think about that, it can build up and the stress can begin to build up. And it can be overwhelming to you. Or you could think about our country. And the changes that are sweeping over our country today. And the things that are going on. You can say, what can I possibly do about it? And you want to throw up your hands and say, what is going on? These often uncontrollable circumstances. Not always uncontrollable. But often uncontrollable circumstances can cause great stress, great worry. When we begin to mold these over in our mind, it can even begin to tie us up in knots. And how often, even the simple things of life, do we allow the circumstances of life to begin to erode our joy and our walk with God? How that, well, I just can't get up this morning. I guess I can't read my Bible this morning. I, I'm running late. I'm just frustrated. I'm just going to blow, blow my stack, we might say. I'm, I'm just, I lose my temper. When we begin to worry and to stress out, we can become consumed with the problems that we are facing. And the more consumed we become, the more hopeless the situation is, and the more we lose the peace and the joy that should mark the life of one who knows the living God. The more we allow the circumstances of life to begin to build up on top of us and just to overwhelm us, the easier it is to begin to stop having the peace and the joy and be able to face the, the, the world that we live in with the peace and joy of Christ. So that no matter the circumstances, we can walk in and say, I know these circumstances are real, they're terrible, but I know someone who's in control. I know someone who is, um, still loves me and still has my, um, his glory in mind. And that means I'm going to enjoy, um, 
be able to come out better at the end of these circumstances. It may not be enjoyable, but I will come out better at the end of these circumstances. But circumstances like to build up. And, the, and sometimes it can be easy to have that pity party. It's like, this is going wrong. This is going wrong. And somebody, how's your day going? You want to hear? It'll take me a couple hours, a couple hours to tell you. But we aren't the only ones in history who have faced hard, hard circumstances. We aren't the only ones who have ever had trying times, serious trials in our lives. Paul is writing to the Philippian church. In a few short years, Roman persecution would break out and there would be Christians dying for their faith. There was already people um, putting pressure on the Philippians because they were Gentile believers saying, you have to do this. You have to become a Jew if you're really going to be right with God. You're gonna... Why are you a Christian? It wasn't popular to be a Christian in Paul's day. Not only that, um, if we look in verse number 2, it says, I beseech you, um, Euodice, and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There had been some dissension that had begun to creep into the church. Things weren't all right between the believers, though the book of Philippians is a book of joy. is a book of Paul writing and saying, Rejoice in the Lord. God will provide. Seek after God. I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Philippians, the whole tone is thankful, is joyful. But even in the Philippian church, dissension had begun to creep in. There was problems that were going on. And Paul, we're not told what the issue is. Paul wasn't here picking sides saying, you're right and you're wrong and, excuse me, you need to do this and you need to do that. Here's what he was saying was, you too, get it right. I beseech you, be of the same mind in the Lord. In the Lord. And Paul was talking to this church in, in Philadelphia. I'm sorry, Philadelphia. Philippi. We'll get it right. In church in Philippi. And he was writing in verse number one, it says, So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved brethren. He was telling them, listen church, you need to stand fast in the Lord. You need to stay strong. Don't let things slide. Don't start going back. You've heard the word of God. You, you were there. I started the church. I preached to you, Paul's saying. So stand fast. Stay with those things. Good things are happening. But you need to stay and stand fast. In verse number 3, he, he talks about how I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, to help those women. Um, and talking about how um, there needed to be mutual support for one another. That the members of the church needed to come alongside one another and help them. They needed to come alongside one another and work together as the body of Christ to encourage one another. Help them to lift them up with the other other my fellow laborers, the end of verse number 3, whose names are in the book of life. He's saying, you, you're saved. You love the Lord. Now come alongside and help one another. As a church, you need to stand fast in the Lord. Now the Philippian church, we have every reason to believe, was a strong church. Spiritually speaking, they were a small church. They were a poor church. But they were a spiritually strong church. But there were still problems. There were still things that needed to be dealt with. But they, they had already sent 
uh, money trying to help Paul. They were trying to help um, the furtherance of the gospel. Philippians was a great church. Why would Paul need to come to them and say, you need to stand strong? You need to stand strong. Is in, let's look in, real quick in verse number 7. It says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay, what does it mean to keep your hearts and minds? Well, the idea of the word keep there is of to guard closely. Or of a military escort going along with it and giving protection and guarding. Or of a castle surrounding to keep in, um, invaders from coming in. To put it in a secure place. To keep it safe. And Paul's telling this church, you need to stand strong. Because your hearts and your minds need to be guarded. Need to be kept through Christ Jesus. Simply, our hearts and our minds are the battleground of the believer. The battles often happen when we talk about circumstances stacking up. It's in our mind and it's in our heart. It's not, though a circumstance is real, you may be able to say, the car is in front of me, I can reach out and touch the car. What the actual battle that is going on is in our mind. It's something spiritual that is going on. And Paul is telling these believers, he's saying, your hearts... Your emotions, your, um, your desires, your mind, how you think about it, how you are approaching this situation. Your hearts and your minds need to be kept through Jesus Christ. First, you must be saved. If, you are, if your heart and your mind is going to be kept, it needs to belong to God. You need to have the Spirit of God living inside you. Your heart must be made right with God. But if you are saved, Paul here is writing to those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's writing to believers in a local church. And he's telling, and he's telling them every day the battle rages with your heart trying to go its own direction. The danger is that if Satan can win the battle in your heart and in your mind, as you are a member of the local church, he be, the Satan can, can begin to wreak havoc in the church, because you're a part of that church. Your Satan loves to cause dissension in the church. That's what was happening with these two ladies in verse number two. Satan had gotten in, and they weren't of the same mind anymore. Paul thought it was so important that he called them out in the Bible by name, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that they weren't of the same mind. So there, Paul is very concerned about these believers, their hearts and their minds, when Satan gets you tangled up with the circumstances of life, you can lose your joy. You can lose your peace. You can stop acting with the gentleness and character that God would have you act, of, act with. As every living stone, you are placed. Pastors preached about that. That's our theme this year. Built up in Him. But, this passage here, while it's directed overall to the church, is to each individual believer. The commands that we're going to get to in a moment is to the individual believer. And your place in the church, 
when you begin to step back and allow the circumstances of life to come over top of you and you to step back. The Bible talks about how confidence in an unfaithful man, in the book of Proverbs, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Each person is a stone and they are to come together. They are to be built on each other. There is mutual support that is there. And when the one begins to crumble, it can hurt the church. But this is not how believers are to be living. You see, we need our hearts and minds kept through Christ Jesus. Yes, the battle is fierce, but that is not how God designed those who have the Spirit of God living in them to be. See, there isn't just this hopeless situation. There's circumstances of life and... We just need to forget about it. No. Paul's writing in. Here's what he says. He says, God's children can experience and know the blessings of His peace, of God's peace, and God's presence, no matter the circumstances. God's promises to His children are, you can know my peace. You can have my peace. You can have my presence. Look in verse number, verse number 7. It says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse number 9. At the end of verse number 6, and it says, And the God of peace shall be with you. God has promises for His children. It says, You can experience a peace that passes all understanding. Okay, this isn't a marshmallow feeling of peace. Okay? Oftentimes we think of peace, we think of this sitting, feeling nothing. Everything is peaceful. The wind is gently blowing. The birds are chirping. It's peaceful. That's peaceful, not peace. The peace of God, this is talking about, in the, in the biblical scenario where in the context of Scripture, the word peace that Paul is using here is referring directly to our salvation. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, verse number 14 through 16, Paul is talking about how um, we have been saved through the mercy of Christ. We have been, if you are saved, you have been made alive through Christ. And it, doesn't, it says in verse number 14, for He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. What Paul's talking about there is saying, God is our peace who's taken the Jew and the Gentile and saved them both the exact same way. He has broken down the middle wall of partition. No longer is there Jew and Gentile, but under Jesus Christ, through the peace of God, everyone is saved the same. Everyone is always saved the same, but everyone, there is level ground. There is no more difference between Jew and Gentile. Yes, there's a physical difference, but under God's standing, the, 
it's the same. Everyone can, is part of the church, has the same standing with God. He has broken down that middle wall of partition. That is the peace of God. If you go to Colossians, it talks about, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's not some mystical calm that comes over us, but that assurance that the world cannot explain. As you can go through life and you can have the peace of God, the confidence knowing that God is in control, that God loves you, that God has saved your soul. And that peace that the world can't understand, you can say, what is going on here? There's the peace that God can give to His child. And that is a protection. It says, it says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts. The peace of God is what guards our hearts and minds from the circumstances of life. It is the peace of God that allows us to know, you know what? Life is going on, but God is in control. It's not up to me. It's not up to my decisions. It's up to God. God knows what's going on, and I can rest in Him. Knowing that we are eternally secure, that our soul is secure with God, is the greatest protection against the attacks of the devil. Trusting in God, trusting that God is in control, is the only way we can let it go and stop worrying, worrying about it. And God's children, in verse number 9, can experience the presence of the God of all peace. It says, and the God of peace. The God that peace belongs to. The God that gives peace. The God that produces peace. Shall be with you. Presence. Not just a statement. God be with you. But a reality that God is with you. Walking beside you. That you have the God of peace with you. These are the promises. Of God's word. Right? We're reading what the Bible says. God is saying... And the peace of God that passes understanding shall, um, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the God of peace shall be with you. It's a promise that God is giving to His children. So the question is, well, this, we know this. We know that life is hard. We know that life likes to worry us. And we know that they're on this hand that there's the promises of God. That God has promised His peace to guard and keep our hearts where the battle is raging. Where our, where our hearts like to um, get going and say, what is going on? I don't know how I'm going to address this situation. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet at the end of this month. I don't know how I'm possibly going to reach my lost family. I don't know how I'm going to do that. And God promises, my peace is there. The circumstances of life and the promises of God. God's peace, God's presence is available for the saved, for the believer. So the question is then, how can God's children enjoy the peace and the presence of God? If it's a promise that we can claim, if it is a promise that we can grab and we can take and we can enjoy, God expects that to happen. How can we do that? Well, very simply, Paul is writing scripture that we can read, that God can speak to us through, and there is commands in there. There is orders, you might say. There is what God has said 
Do this, and you can claim the promises. Let's begin reading in verse number 4, and we'll read through the end, and then we'll go, through, go back through it. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. How many saw the commands that are very clearly in the Word of God? First it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Okay? Rejoice in the Lord. Does that mean that when you're stuck, stuck in traffic, you need to get, start going, yippee! Yay! Okay. Is that exactly what it's saying? As you're stopped in the subway car, and the car is going to be stuck in the tunnel for the next 20 minutes, are you supposed to grab the pole and start jumping around the pole saying, yippee, yay, I'm so excited that this is happening? Is that what rejoicing in the Lord is talking about? No. Okay? Rejoice doesn't just mean everything is happy, everything is great. There's, they were still going through trials. There were still hard things happening to them. But they were to rejoice in what? Not that they were just going through hard times. No matter what is going on, Paul's saying, you can rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice in who God is. Circumstances do not mar the character of God. Circumstances do not mar the character of God. No matter what is going on, you can rejoice in who God is. You can rejoice in who God is. The story of Ziklag in 1 Samuel chapter 30. What did David do? He got, there was the end of the rope. He got there, he, after he got back to his hometown and his whole city was burned. His wives and his children were all taken captive. Everything he owned was gone except what he had on his back. And what does the Bible say he did? But David encouraged himself in the Lord. When we forget the goodness of God, we will lose the battles of our heart and mind. When we forget that God, no matter what is going on, God is still good. God is still exactly who He says He was, says He is. The circumstances of life do not affect who God is. Rather, we need to realize that God is good no matter what is going on. When we allow, when we forget that, when we stop rejoicing in the Lord, it is much easier to become discouraged, become bitter, become overwhelmed with life. So Paul says, if you want to enjoy the peace of God, if you want to enjoy the peace and the presence of God, rejoice in who God is. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you missed it, and again I say rejoice. 
And then he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation. That's a, what, what on earth does that mean? Well, it's talking about this. Gentleness. Allow, not being um, upset at all the circumstances of life that has brought you. That you're on an even keel. That you aren't we uh, all excited at one moment and the next moment in the depths of despair. All excited at one moment and the next moments in the depths of despair. That you're able to go through life with a smile on your face. That you're able to have the meekness and the gentleness of Christ in your life. Because the Lord is at hand. God is there. God sees the problem you're going through. You know what? I know this guy just cut me off in traffic, and I had to step and I had to blow my horn to let him know that he was coming over and it was dangerous. But I don't have to fly off the handle at him, and I don't have to um, get all upset. You know what? It's okay. It's not about me. God's, God, the Lord is at hand. God's here. Let your moderation be known. Let the gentleness, let the character of Christ be shown in your life. Let the moderation, let your moderation be known unto all men, even to that guy who cut you off in traffic. Then it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer. So he's saying, be careful for nothing, but in everything. So each way he's talking about everything that's going on. Nothing and everything. All-inclusive terms. Be careful for nothing. Does that mean I'm not supposed to pay attention to the lights that, that are on? Ah, oh, it's whatever. Just go. I'm, not being, I'm being careful for nothing. Okay. No. How about we let the Bible define the word? It says in Luke 10, 41, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful and troubled about many things. This is where I was talking about how life likes to overwhelm you. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious over nothing. Don't allow worry to consume your life. Be careful for nothing. Just the simple responsibilities of life can consume you. The circumstances that you can't control, such as health, unsafe family, politics, the society that we live in, the traffic, all want to tie you up in knots. Paul's not saying, let everything go. Everything will work out when we get there. Suffering in this life is real. Christians will deal with the pains that come with living in this sin-cursed world. But instead of being worried about it, instead of being anxious for what is going on, in everything, make your request known to God. Because God alone can control the circumstances. We must go back to Him. Okay? It says prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer is simply talking with God. Supplication is earnestly seeking the help that only God can give. It sounds a little bit like being poor in spirit. Supplication on your knees, beseeching God, saying, God, you have to make this happen. 
with thanksgiving. As I was doing some study, one commentator put it this way. It says, prayer takes up the anxiety-provoking question, how? How shall I cope? And answers by pointing away to him, to his resources and promises, speaking of God. Thanksgiving addresses itself to the worrying question. Why? Why has this happened to me? And answers by pointing to the great doer of all who never acts purposelessly, I'll get that out, and whose purposes never fail. Saying, Thanksgiving is, why is this going on? You know what? I'm going to be thankful for the circumstances because God knows what he's doing and no matter what is going on, I must be thankful for, about, thankful for it. And how can I uh, go through this circumstance? How is this happening? Well, God is the one who's going to have to give me the grace to get through it. And everything, stop worrying. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Prayer. Supplication, saying, God, I don't have the answers to the circumstances. In my mind, in, in my heart, and in my mind, I don't know how to go. I don't know why this is here, but I know it's here for a purpose. I know that you are still good. I'm going to be thankful for this, Lord. I'm going to give this to you. And I'm going to allow, trust that you know what you are doing. In verse number 8, a verse that many of us probably have memorized. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. That's a command. Paul is telling them, your mind must be centered on the things of God. You can't choose the circumstances that come into your life. You can't choose that. We understand that. There's life. But you can choose what you're thinking about. You can choose what you allow your mind to dwell on. And Paul's telling these Philippian believers here, okay, the circumstances of life... Rejoice in the Lord. Allow God's gentleness and joy to, as you live through life, let, let your moderate, moderation be known to all men. And give it to God in prayer. The circumstances of life, leave them in God's hand and realize God is in control. But your personal life, you have to choose what you let your mind dwell on. You have a choice in that. Let your mind dwell on the things of God. This is in direct connection with being careful for nothing. Instead of worrying about life circumstances, consider the things of God. What is true? Consider the Word of God. Our minds will dwell on something. And it's our choice where we let it go. And then in verse number 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. That's the last command. That our actions must be ordered by the Word of God. If you've been in this church very long, you've heard the Word of God preached. If you've read your Bible, you have understand some of the commands of God. 
The Bible is very clear. As we read through it, God it shows us more and more what we should be doing, what we should not be doing. And Paul's saying, what you've both learned, received, and heard, you've heard through the preaching, you've heard from me and seen, you've seen what other Christians, people who love God, are doing in their lives are, and set them as examples. You see that? Now do it. Simple command. Action. And it doesn't say do it once. The word do, do it now, and keep on doing it. It's an, it's a, um, has a continual action with it. You need to do it and keep on doing it. Simply this. The Philippian believers, or believers, the children of God, can enjoy the peace and the presence of God that God has promised. There's the circumstances of life. There's the promises of God. And the believer in the circumstances of life can enjoy the promises, can enjoy the peace of God, can enjoy the presence of God by doing two things. Submitting what cannot be controlled to God. Be careful for nothing. I can't control these circumstances. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to realize God is in control. I'm going to submit that to God. They can enjoy the peace and the presence of God by submitting what cannot be controlled to God and by bringing our personal lives under the authority of God. Our thoughts and our actions. If you want to enjoy the blessings of God, the promises that are very clearly in God's Word, if you want to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding and the presence of God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, what we cannot control, we give to God. What we can control, our thoughts, our actions, we say, this is what God said, I'm going to submit to the authority of God. When we're submitted to the authority of God, when we have given to Him what we cannot control, trusting in Him, the Bible says, and the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep, that's a promise, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Most of us know the Sunday school song. Why worry when you... Right? I'm not going to try to sing now. My voice is going to crack. But we, we know the song. How about we change it just a little bit? We ask ourselves, why worry? Let's pray and obey. Why worry? Just pray and obey. God has put this church here in New York City with the members that are in this church. And God, through His Word, has commanded us to stand firm, to keep the things that He has commanded us to do, to continue to spread the Gospel, to stay true to what God has said. But, and we are not just to be standing there, gripping on while the floodwaters roll around us, clinging to, hoping against hope not to get swept away. We can stand firm, planted, against the tides of this world. And not just stand firm, we can stand firm with a peace of God that passes all understanding. The world, what is going on with those Christians over there? 
They have, like the world's going crazy and they're just standing there with a smile on their face, rejoicing in who God is. The problem is we often allow the circumstances of life to wear down our joy and our commitment and obedience to God. But God's peace and God's presence is still available. It's always available. For those who are His children, His peace, His presence, the peace that comes from knowing you're saved, the peace of God that can encompass your life no matter what the storm is, not necessarily the removal of the storm, but the strength and the grace to go through it, and the peace of God and the presence of God, the God of all peace is with you. You can still, no matter what is going on in your life, you can still enjoy the peace and the presence of God by submitting what cannot be controlled to Him in prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, saying, God, I know you're in control. And bringing your personal life into obedience and submission to God. When we say, this is what God has said. I'm not going to allow my mind to dwell on the things that I cannot control. I'm going to be careful for nothing. I'm not going to be anxious, overwrought, worried with what is going on. I'm instead going to put my mind on things that are true, that are honest. There's not a whole lot. If you read the newspaper, there's not a whole lot that is in there that is honest and true and pure and lovely. Not in our society today. So where should we put our minds? On God's Word. On the things that are here. And when we do that, it's not that all of life will suddenly be rose-colored glasses and wonderful. No more aches and pains. The arthritis doesn't hurt anymore. There's no more delay. Everything is... No, it's not that everything is perfect. It's that you have the peace of God that passes understanding Guarding and keeping your heart. No, there's still the attacks of the devil. There's still the circumstances of life. But you can go through with the gentleness and meekness of Christ on an even keel, rejoicing in the Lord when we allow God to have control. When we stop worrying and we pray and we obey. When we pray and we obey. It's... You say, that's really, really, really simple. Well, how about we try living it tonight and tomorrow and the next day? And this is what you're going to find. You say, God, you're going to come to God and say, God, I need your grace for this. There is no way that I'm going to make it through without your... And you're going to be on your knees in supplication saying, God, you're going to have to keep my mind on your things because it wants to go wherever it wants to go. God, you're going to have to help me remember what you have told me to do and you're going to have to help me do it because I can't do it on my own. And as you are in that place of submission and humbleness before God, you will be able to enjoy a peace that only God can give. And the world is going to look and say, what is going on over there? And you just may have the opportunity to say, let me introduce you to the God of all peace. Pray and obey.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you tonight. I just pray as we consider your word, Lord, your promises are clear. That we can have the peace of God. That we can have the peace that passes understanding. Lord, we just simply need to trust you and to obey your word and allow you to do what only you can do. I just pray that you would work in hearts tonight. That you would encourage those who need to be encouraged. Lord, challenge those who need to be challenged. That you would work, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. We'll just have the piano play. If you need to come forward or pray there in your seat, it's up to you.